compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Well, it's great to have you as we worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on this great resurrection morning. Um, if you're new, my name is Kurt, and I'm one of the pastors here. Before I get into our message, I'd just like to talk to you about information. Does anybody feel like we're going through a major amount of information overload in our world? Amen. It's like too much information comes our way all the time. I mean, you can Google and get anything you want in a matter of a split second. Snapchat, your phone is always buzzing. I mean, text messaging, it's always going off. Facebook Messenger, it's going off. Instagram, it is going off. I mean, then there's that old thing called email that some of us still use, right? And you get how many junk emails a day? Like probably 80% of what you get is spam. There's just too much information going on. And it gets confusing. In fact, even when you go home, you find out there's still too much information. I did, a, uh, did some research this past week and learned that the average cable television user has 189 channels. I mean, by the time you actually go through all channels, the program you wanted to watch is already over with. If you have that new satellite radio thing, I'm not saying it's a bad deal, but I checked. Do you know that they have almost 1,000 radio stations on satellite radio? I mean, how long would it take you to sample all of them? And when you have too much information in your world, it becomes very hard to find the important information. Anybody had this happen where you missed an important email? It got mass deleted with all the other spam that was mixed in there in your day. Anybody else? Oh, totally. Anybody missed an important text message because you just finally decided to stop listening to your phone and put it down because you wanted to actually get something done? because it was constantly beeping and chirping and blurping and all, and all these noises. There's just too much information coming our way. And it makes it very hard to find and discern what is important. Well, this morning I want to help you. This morning I want to help you simplify your life. This morning I want to help you cut through all the clutter. And I want to help you see one thing that is really important. One thing you don't want to miss. One thing that is essential you know. It's the one thing that changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let me just give you, uh, let me read from you 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 5. It's right on the top of your outlines if you're following along in our study this morning. It says this. Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul says this is information that is of first importance. This is the number one thing you need to know. This is the one piece of information that you don't want to become lost in all of the clutter of this world. It's the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. On Thursday at church, at our Monday Thursday service, we uh, focused on the death of Christ and what that was about. This morning, we're going to focus on the resurrection of Christ and why it is so important that we don't miss the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means for our life. So this morning as we study the resurrection, we're going to wrap our study simply around as answers to two questions. And here are the questions we're going to look at. Number one, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, would it change my faith? And number two, since Christ has risen from the dead, how does it change my life? So let's go ahead and begin our study. Let's look at the first question. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, would it change my faith? To answer this question, we're just going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to read for you verses 14 through 20. 
It says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. I mean, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, I could give an entire sermon out of just those verses. I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm only going to pull out two important points from those verses. And then I'm going to go and work on the other question. But let's look at these two points in answer to our question. If Christ didn't raise, would it change my faith? Yes. Number one, Christianity would become a waste of time. Christianity would be a waste of time. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, Christianity is worthless. All sacrifices we make for Jesus Christ and for our faith are pointless. Every offering you have put in the plate is essentially flushing your money down the toilet. Every prayer that you have made to God in the name of Jesus Christ was as effective as talking to a wall if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. In fact, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, none of us should be here. None of us should be wasting our time in this foolish thing called church, this foolish thing called worship at all. If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead this summer, don't come to church on Sunday morning, go to the beach. If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead this winter, go to the mall on Sunday, or at least go watch some sports. But don't waste your time coming to church. Now, some of you think I'm maybe overstating my case a little bit. Some of you think, well, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, certainly church is good. I mean, certainly we should still be here. I mean, wouldn't it be okay if maybe Christ didn't literally rise? Maybe it was sort of a myth. Maybe it was sort of a legend. Maybe it was one of those things that just grew up over time and now we believe it. There are some pastors that teach that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not essential to our faith. In fact, some of the pastors who teach that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not essential to our faith, they will say that what is essential is sincerity. As long as what you believe, you're sincere about it, God's happy. Now that's pretty bizarre, isn't it? Is what matters that we are just sincere about our faith? Or is what matters that we are true about our faith? Think about this. Um, if you're following directions to a friend's house and you sincerely take the wrong road, will you still get there? No. Are you sick? You're, you're sick and you go to the doctor and they give you a prescription for medicine and the pharmacist goes to fill it out and they do it wrong, but they were sincere when they tried to fill it out. Does that medicine heal you if it's the wrong medicine? Absolutely not. You can be sincerely wrong. See, what matters about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that it's true. If it's not true, I mean, there should be no reason that we are here, even if we sincerely believe it. It does not matter if it is not true. What did Paul say? Right here, I'm going to read it in the middle of uh, the, the verses we read. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's a waste of time. The entire Christian faith stands and falls on the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ 
from the dead. The fact that you could literally touch him, literally talk to him, the fact that he even literally ate food, he was not a ghost. If that is not true, then everything about the Christian faith falls apart and there's absolutely no reason you should be here on Sunday morning at any time of the year. That's what the Bible says. Our faith would be in vain. So the first answer is, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, would it change my faith? Yes, Christianity would be a waste of time. The second answer is this. It would change my faith because the Bible would become an evil book. It would become an evil book. Our kids in school, they uh, are allowed to do, they have this thing called AR reading. And you have an AR goal, right kids? Where you have to read books of the Bible. And, or actually, excuse me, you have to read books. And you have to read books that are edifying to you. Uh, books that uh, they believe are going to help you grow in your reading skill. And what I didn't realize for a while is that did you know that books of the Bible, like your Bible, is allowed to be read by your children and they can get credit for it at school? They can actually take a test on a book of the Bible and get credit for having their Bible reading time. Now all the mothers are writing this down right now. I can see that. Yeah. And get this. The Bible is in the non-fiction section of acceptable literature. Pretty cool. But here's what I want to challenge you with. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't literally take place, is the Bible a good book for our children to read? Or is it a bad book for our children to read? If the resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't literally take place, what it means is that the entire Bible is based on a lie. That all of the New Testament that talks about how Jesus Christ rose and how our faith in him is what saves us, it's all wrong. It's a lie and our children would be reading and studying the, one of the greatest lies that has ever been told in the face of history. It would mean that the millions, maybe billions of people who have died martyrs' death being tortured to death because they claimed Jesus is alive and Jesus changed their life would be all doing it for a lie. And the disciples, the disciples and the members of the early church who died torturous deaths on crosses or who had their skin literally peeled off their body, it's called flaying, it's a vicious, terrible torture. As they died those deaths, they never recanted. Did you know that? People will die for what they believe is a, uh, for their convictions, but people will not die for a concoction. That means people will, will die for things they believe are true, but people will not die for things they know are, they, they know is not true. The disciples died torturous deaths claiming that Jesus Christ was indeed alive. And if that's not true, they're liars. They're dupers. Thousands of people in the early church would have had to be in on this worldwide hoax. Thousands of people who did not ever bend and say, guess what, you know, we were all drunk, we were sad, we came up with this story, we'd say Jesus rose from the dead, we thought we'd make it up. They didn't recant. But if it wasn't true, this is what our kids would be studying. The Bible a book of evil lies, deception, and truth. The Bible, a book that should be burned, a book that should be banned, a book that is based on deception. But if Jesus Christ did indeed rise from the dead, it changes everything. Now some of you again are thinking I'm overstating my point that the Bible should not be read at all by our children if Jesus Christ did not indeed rise. Because some of you will come back and say, well the Bible, you know, has Jesus in it and Jesus, even if he didn't rise from the dead, Jesus is, he's a really good moral teacher and our kids can learn about good morals by uh, listening to or reading about Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. 
Jesus does teach good morality. He does teach things like love your neighbor as yourself. But then Jesus Christ also follows it up by saying things like this. You know, that there is only one way to God, and it's through me. And then he follows it up by saying that I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Like, I am God. How could you call Jesus a good moral teacher if he claims to be God and if he claims to be the only way to God? If it's not true. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Jesus is either a, a supreme liar. Once again, we should not be uh, reading the book. Or he's a nutcase who doesn't know he's not God. Or he is what he said all along. He actually is the very son of God. Good moral teachers do not call themselves God unless they are God. And here's my point. The resurrection, it changes everything. Because if Jesus did not rise, this is a bad book that our children should never read and never be exposed to. Because it's lies and deception. But if Jesus Christ did rise, this is not just a good book, but this book contains the key of the universe. This book contains the key of life. This book contains the truth about Jesus Christ, who is the only Son of God, and who says he is the only way to God. This book is what our children need. What well, answers the first question? You know, if uh, Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, would it change my faith? Yes. Second question is this. Since Jesus Christ did rise from the grave, how does it change my life, my everyday life. Let me show you what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. We read it a, a few moments ago. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The Bible is clear. Jesus did indeed rise, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Here's the first thing we learn. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus is not just another dead religious teacher. He's not just another dead religious teacher. Uh, Cindy and I, we used to live uh, on the shore of Lake Michigan before we moved out here to Iowa. It was a pretty sleepy, boring, lazy town that had one great redeeming factor. They had an ice cream factory. And it was a big ice cream factory. They made lots of ice cream. And they were good at it. Not only did they make ice cream, but the front of the factory had a restaurant for ice cream. So you could actually get meals. But you, the key thing was they had all these different flavors of ice cream that were under the glass. And as you could order what you wanted. And right behind them, they actually had a glass part of the wall. You could see from the ordering stand into the factory and watch the ice cream being made. And even talking about this is actually starting to make my mouth want to water. It was, oh, great ice cream. Uh, the company that made this ice cream prided themselves on quality. It was good. But they also prided themselves on something else. And that was variety. I did a quick scan this past week on their website just to see how many flavors of ice cream they offered. And it was a little less than 70. Lots of different flavors of ice cream. Now, here's the one thing you can't say when you go to House of Flavors, which is their name, by the way, House of Flavors. You can't say that one flavor of ice cream is right and another flavor of ice cream is wrong. The flavor of ice cream that you like is just your preference. It's like, what flavor of ice cream is right for you? Now, many people view religion the exact same way. Like, who are you to say that one religion is right and another religion is wrong? They're all just different ways to God. It's all about your preference. 
It's all about what flavor of ice cream, what flavor of religious ice cream is right for you. But I'm here to tell you that the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection says that Jesus Christ is right and all other religious leaders are dead wrong. Let me explain it this way. The founders of the different religions of the world have one thing in common. They're all dead. You go to, uh, for instance, look up Muhammad. Muhammad is buried in the city of Medina. You look up Buddha. His body was cremated and his ashes were spread around to different Buddhist monuments around the world. In fact, if you go to Sri Lanka, you can go to what is called the Temple of the Tooth because they have a little piece of Buddha's tooth in Sri Lanka. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, he is buried in Nauvoo, Illinois. Well, here's what sets Jesus apart from all these other dead religious leaders. Jesus made claims about God too, but Jesus didn't stay dead. You see, if Jesus stayed dead, he would be just another dead religious leaders. He would be just another flavor of religious ice cream. But Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be the only way that anyone comes to God. And then Jesus did something that no other religious leader in the history of the world has done to prove it. He came back from the dead. Jesus is not just another flavor of religious ice cream. It is 100% legitimate and solid thinking to put all your chips on him. Because he's the only one that made claims about being God and came back to prove it. Some of you, as you're thinking, you're saying, still, that's still hard to fathom, the fact that Jesus came back from the dead. I mean, how can I get this, my mind wrapped around it? I mean, I know it in faith, but it's still hard to wrap my mind around it in fact. And I've actually given messages on this in the past. I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I want to give you a little bit of help in helping you understand that Jesus did believe or did rise. And by that, I want you to look at the disciples. Look at the changes in the lives of the disciples. And you'll see that the resurrection had to be true. For instance, the disciples, after Jesus went to the cross, they were a bunch of cowards. They were running. They were hiding. <laughs> they didn't want to be seen. They want to save their skin. But after Jesus rose from the dead, we find a complete transformation that could only have happened if Jesus literally rose from the dead. They went from cowards to men of courage who went up in front of massive crowds and said, Jesus is indeed alive. I have touched him. I have talked with him. I have seen him. What changes the disciples from cowards to men of courage other than a literal resurrected Jesus? Another thought for you. The disciples, they were all devout Jews. Jews had always worshipped on the Sabbath, which is, by the way, Saturday, the seventh day of the week. They had done that for thousands of years. What is the only thing that you can conceive of that would be such a momentous event that it would change the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday? It would have to be something on the order of magnitude of creation itself. Because the seventh day Sabbath is tied up into the original order of creation in Genesis. Jesus Christ rose on Sunday. And it says he is the firstborn of the new creation. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that was such a big event that it changed people from worshiping on Saturday to worshiping on Sunday. See, the resurrection, it changes everything. The disciples, 
they are also were good Jews and they know as good Jews that the only person you pray to and the only person you worship is God and God alone. And that to pray and worship to anything or anyone else would be an instant one-way trip to hell. What would cause those disciples to start praying and worshiping Jesus? A man that they had just had dinner with a few weeks prior. It would have to be something on the order of magnitude of the resurrection itself where Jesus rose from the dead, where Jesus conquered death. Otherwise, why would they pray to him? Why would they pray in his name? It's completely out of character for a Jewish man to do that. They know much better. How about baptism? Where did that come from? When you are go down, you're figuratively buried with Christ, and then you are resurrected with Christ. I mean, baptism wouldn't be the same if he never rose from the dead. It'd be like, you're buried with Christ and we just hold you under until you die and join him. There would be no resurrection on the backside unless Jesus Christ literally rose from the dead. This is what, do you see how this is logical? Study the tombs of other religious leaders. You find them honored, revered, enshrined, flowers, all kinds of expensive stuff around it. But you never found that on the tomb of Jesus. And you never find that in the tomb of Jesus even today because it's empty. He's not there. My friends, let me say it again. The resurrection, it changes. It changes everything. Look what uh, it says in the scriptures in Acts chapter 2, 29 and then verses 31 through 32. Peter says, brothers, I, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. He's a dead religious leader. Then he comes back and he says, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that, we are all witnesses. Peter says, Jesus is not another dead religious leader. There is nobody in the tomb. And guess what? We are all, he says, witnesses of this. You guys can't argue with these facts. The resurrection of Jesus was not a private event. It was a public event that everybody in Jerusalem knew about. It was on the front page of the newspapers. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, was down at Starbucks having a latte with Peter. It says in the scriptures that he appeared to crowds of over 500 at a time. It was an established fact that Peter didn't have to argue into people's mind. You guys are all witnesses. You know it. You saw it. The resurrection changes everything. Jesus is not just another dead religious leader. He is the key of the universe. He is God. He is the key of eternal life. He is not just another flavor of religious ice cream. Now some of you will say, oh, let me give you this. Since Jesus rose from the dead, that means that we need to treat his words differently than we treat the words of other religious leaders. Many of you know there are, are a lot of Christian and non-Christian gurus out there who are trying to give you advice on how to live your life. These are sages. These are consultants that are talking to you. There's always like Dr. Phil, tell you how to fix your life. There's Jenny Craig, who's going to tell you how to fix your diet. There's Warren Buffett, who's going to tell you how to fix your money and your finances. And if you're Oprah, then you want to go to Eckerd Tolle, right? That's what she always does. But the key is that you notice these people are all pictured as consultants. And what people do is they pick and choose what they want and they decide what they will agree with and what they will discard. Because they say the consultant doesn't know my world. 
The consultant doesn't know my life, so I'll agree with them on this area, but I'm going to disagree with them on this other area. And what often happens is we treat Jesus like he is a religious consultant in our life. Jesus, I agree with 95% of the stuff that you said, but you know, there's 5% that I think I know better than you do. When it comes to finances, I think I know better than you on this one, Jesus. When it comes to my sexuality, well, that was a different culture. You know, my sexuality is different. I, I, I think my advice is better than yours. When it comes to forgiveness, oh God, I, under, I know your word says about forgiveness. I know you said to forgive, but you didn't meet the person that I have to forgive. I'm different. I'm special. And what we start doing is putting ourselves above Jesus. But let me say it again. Jesus is not just another dead religious guy. Jesus is God who rose from the dead and he proved it. This means we take his words differently because he knows everything there is to know about you and me and life. When Jesus talks, it's like E.F. Hutton, right? When Jesus talks, people need to listen because he only speaks truth. Even if it's stuff that we don't necessarily totally feel comfortable with. Like, let me give you an example. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to come to God other than the resurrected Jesus. You can disagree with it all you want, but the Bible says that that's what Jesus said and you have to take his words as true. Or as Paul says under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those, if sexual immorality is a persistent part of your lifestyle, what does it say? That's not the kind of character and quality that, of people who inherit the kingdom of God. You can't disagree with it. It's what, it's what the scriptures say. Well, the first thing we learned is this. The resurrection changes my life. It means Jesus is not just another dead religious teacher. The second thing is this. It means there is forgiveness for my past. Any of you ever go through a, a, a red light I'm going to just admit it. Okay, the rest of you probably aren't true. Stale, stale yellows? Okay. Anybody uh, sort of slide through a, a stop sign and not come to a complete stop? Okay, there's some truthful people out here. It is church, it is Easter, remember that. Uh, anybody here drive more than 10 miles an hour over the speed limit? Okay, and what worries me is the children that are raising their hand. Here's the point. We all mess up on the road, but one thing we hope is that when we mess up, the cop isn't around. Because otherwise, he's going to give us a ticket. What really frustrates people is that in the cities now, they're starting to have cops that are always around. They're called cameras. You guys hear about this? You go to in a toll booth in Chicago, you can't just breeze through it and not pay because the camera goes click and you get a little picture with your license plate on it and a bill. You slide through a, a, a red light, click, you get a picture with your license plate on it and a ticket. And I believe they even have them now for speeding, though I am not 100% sure of that. People get frustrated. Because all of a sudden they're getting tickets in the mail and they didn't realize that they were doing so many traffic violations because they had evaded cops before. Well, imagine with me, not just cameras that watch your driving, but imagine that your life was a reality television show. The cameras are always watching your life. 
And imagine with me the cameras that are watching your life aren't just on the outside, but there's another camera that's on the inside that's recording all of your thoughts, the things you want to say, but don't say. And imagine all this tape is going to get played, and it's not going to get played in front of an earthly judge, but it's going to get played in front of our heavenly judge. And it's going to determine where you spend eternity. And the only way for you and me to be in heaven is if after watching all the tape, the judge would say, not guilty of it anything. I think we all know that we are in a bad way if that's true. And the scriptures say that is literally what is going on. Let me show you what it says in Revelation 20 verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So in the ancient world, you didn't record everything on cameras. You recorded everything in books. But it's the same idea. All of us desperately need some way to get those tapes erased. We desperately need some way to get all of the things that we have done wrong taken off our account. Is there any way that it can be done? Yes. It's Jesus Christ. And it's not just through his death on the cross, but his resurrection is part of what forgives us too. Let me read for you 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. It's not just the death of Christ that atones for our sin, but something special also happened with the resurrection of Christ that paid for and took care of our sins. Paul says the same thing again in Romans 4.25. Who were delivered up who was delivered up for our trespasses, that's our sins, talking about Jesus, but Jesus was raised up for our justification. What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ have to do with our justification before God? Here's what I think. I think the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what certifies Christ's death as acceptable payment for our sin. If Jesus Christ was still in the grave, we would have no guarantee that what Christ did on the cross was payment in full for all of our sins. The resurrection of Christ, not just the death of Christ, is essential for our forgiveness of sins. It's proof that he paid for it in full. It's proof that when we stand before God for eternity, all of our sins are paid for. Now, the guilt of our sin is not just paid for in eternity, for the moment we stand before Jesus, but it's paid for today. Here's where I'd like to apply this to your life. Many of us this morning sit here struggling with guilt we struggle with shame. We struggle with things that we have done in the past that we are just filled with shame over and we have a really hard time forgiving ourselves, don't we? The resurrection changes everything. When we confessed our sin to God, the resurrection is proof positive that our sin has been paid for by God through Jesus Christ in full. Don't define yourself by what you have done in your past. If you've confessed your sin to Jesus Christ, define yourself by what God has done for you in the past. Let yourself be defined by what God has done for you through Jesus when you look in the mirror. Don't let yourself be defined by what you have done. What Jesus did for us defines who we are today. Not our pasts, not our sin, not our mistake. 
when we continue to carry around guilt and shame every day after we have confessed our sin to God and Jesus Christ has paid for it in full and the resurrection is proof positive that it is paid for and we continue to carry around that guilt and shame and we hold on to it. You know what that is? That is an insult to God. Because what matters today is not what you think about you. What matters today is what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. And he's paid for your sins in full. And it's proof positive that they're paid for because Jesus rose from the dead. They're all paid for. There's no sin that is unpaid for that is holding him back. What is most important in your life is not what you think of you when you look in the mirror tomorrow morning. What's most important is what God thinks of you and what Jesus has done for you. That's what defines you tomorrow. That's what defines you every day. See, I told you, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It means he's not just another dead religious teacher. He's somebody totally different. He's God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes our guilt, not just for eternity, the day when we stand before God is our sin forgiven, but every day when we stand before ourselves and we look in the mirror, our identity is through Jesus, not ourselves. Our guilt and shame is gone. Lastly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has given us freedom from the power of sin. When Cindy and I were first married, uh, we lived in a 120-year-old farmhouse in Stevens Mill, Michigan. We had fields uh, around us, behind us, on both sides, and the neighbors weren't close, but we did have one neighbor that was sort of across the highway. It was an old rental house, and it was like most rental houses are, that are old, sort of run down, uh, broken down vehicles that didn't run, littered the yard. We're talking zero lawn maintenance, when the sticks fell from the trees, they just left them there. One thing that this, uh, people who lived in this house liked were dogs. And they had lots of them all over the property. But we only knew for sure the name of two of them, Ralph and Norman. And the reason we knew the names of Ralph and Norman is because Ralph and Norman spent almost their entire life chained to two trees in the yard. And all they did was run in circles all day long. And around 10 o'clock at night, without fail, like clockwork, whoever the guy was that lived in that house would lift up his window and the dogs would be barking and frustrated because they haven't ever been off the leash. And he would yell, Ralph Norman, shut up! I mean, he turned up, yep, about time, here he goes. And a lot of us as Christians are like Ralph and Norman. You see, Ralph and Norman were on a tree and they were chained there almost their entire life. And they had run around that tree so many times that it wasn't just that the grass was worn away. They had actually built, by running, a banked track. They had gone that deep into the earth. Maybe like six years of being on that tree. Maybe they were let off a few times. I don't know. But as Christians... Well, I like to think, what would happen with Ralph and Norman? What would happen if somebody actually came out there and took him off the leash? I wondered, would they actually run away? Because the only life they had known was that 10-foot section around that tree. Would Ralph and Norman just stay there? You see, as Christians, I think a lot of us are just like Ralph and Norman. What we don't realize is that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, what the scriptures say is that he broke the power of sin in our life. We are no longer chained to our sin. We no longer have to follow our sinful desires and our vices and give in to them. The power of Jesus Christ has cut the leash of sin. And we can say no to sin. We can walk away from sin because of the resurrection of Jesus. But most of us don't realize that. 
We're like Ralph and Norman. The chain is cut, but we've always known just this tree, and so we stay there. Let me show you what I, what I mean from the scriptures. It says in Acts 13, 37 through 39, but he who raised God up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Well, we've covered that one. And by him, everyone who believes is, notice this, freed from everything from which you could not be freed of by the law of Moses. The resurrection of Jesus Christ frees us from something that the law of Moses could not free us from. What is that? The law of Moses could not free us from our chained desire to sin. But Jesus Christ and his resurrection changes our desire for sin. Let me show you. If the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. As a Christian, if you have confessed your sin to Jesus Christ and you have made him, asked him to be in charge of your life, not only do you have forgiveness of your sin the day before you stand before God, not only do you not have to see yourself filled with guilt and shame, but the leash of sin that has held you to your sinful vices and your sinful desires is now cut. You can walk away from your sinful temptations. You don't have to be like Ralph and Norman and stuck on a tree. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead the scripture says, is now alive and working in you. And it is raising you from, in, from the dead. And it is taking away the power of sin in your life. The Old Testament law could not do that. Only the resurrection of Jesus Christ can do that. Now let me put this into boots on the ground practicality. I love groups like Alcoholics Anonymous. I love groups uh, that are sort of drug recovery programs, but this is the one area they almost always fall short on. They work so hard to wean you off of your sins and your vice, but there is no way that they can change your heart. There's no way they can cut the leash and say that you, your desire is no longer for that sin. But Jesus Christ cuts the leash. Jesus Christ changes your heart. So you can walk away and say, you know what? I used to really like drinking. I used to really like being drunk, but now I really don't even want the stuff anymore. Jesus Christ has changed the very desires in my heart. Because won't Alcoholics Anonymous tell you that once you are um, addicted to alcohol, you're a drunk, you're always a drunk? Because that's always going to get back and reach in and take control of your life. But Jesus Christ says, I reach into your heart and I totally change you. I make you into a new creation. I change the very desires of your soul. So you're not always just an alcoholic waiting to come off um, rehab. The resurrection changes everything. It means Jesus is not just another dead religious teacher. He's the only way to God. It means we're not going to be guilty when we stand in front of God for our sins because Jesus has paid for all those sins. And, and we don't need to be filled with guilt and shame when we look in the mirror today. The resurrection, it means that we are not just um, controlled by sin, but we are off the leash and we no longer have to give in to sin. Because God makes us a new person on the inside. It changes everything. This morning, when you came, maybe you walked in this door believing that Jesus was just another flavor of religious ice cream. Not the only way to God. Maybe you walked in this door and you viewed Jesus as a cosmic religious consultant. You, know, you, you take some of the things he says, but you just ignore other things he says. My hope is that as we studied God's word and we looked at the implications of the resurrection, that you've changed. 
Today is probably one of the best days of all. Easter. It's the best day to step over the line and give Jesus Christ full control of your life. Let me tell you something. This is what he offers for you. He offers to completely forgive your sin. He offers to take away your guilt, your shame. And he offers not just to forgive you of your past, but to change you completely moving forward. To make you into a new creation. To cut the leash of the chain of sin that has held onto your heart for years. That's what he offers to do for you today. To get that, this is what he asks. He asks that you would confess your sin to him and you would trust him with all of your heart this morning. This morning, will you step over the line? Will you make a decision to trust in Jesus Christ with all of your heart and with all of your life? I like to think of it this way. Will you decide to get out of the driver's seat of your life and get into the passenger and put Jesus behind the wheel? I'm going to pray before we uh, go to our, last, to our last worship song. And if that's a decision that you're going to make, I ask you to pray along with me in your heart as I say this prayer. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you rose from the dead. Thank you that your resurrection changes everything and you're not just another dead religious leader. But I can trust you with all the chips of my life. Right now, as best I know how, I just confess to you all of my sin and ask that your death and resurrection would pay for it. And right now, as best I know how, I want to give you the steering wheel of my life I'm moving over into the passenger seat. You're in charge, Jesus. Make me into a completely new person and do what you said you would. Cut the chains of sin that have bound me to my old vices and sinful ways in my life and make me into a new person. I give you my heart and I give you my soul. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.